Welcome to Hospitals in Focus from the Federation of American Hospitals. Here's your host, Chip Kahn. Healthcare coverage for all Americans has always been a high priority of the Federation members. The Federation in 2007 released our own coverage plan, the Healthcare Passport, and proudly joined in 2009 and 2010 with policymakers, opinion leaders, and stakeholders who worked hard developing the Affordable Care Act. With the passage of the ACA, great progress was made in closing the coverage gaps. But the policies of the last administration were not kind to the coverage expansions envisioned in the 2010 legislation. The COVID crisis has further exposed issues of health care equity in our country. Health coverage gaps are now more obvious than ever. But despite this crying need, it was as if no one in the last administration was really listening. With President Biden at the helm, it is a new day, and we're grateful to have the leadership that is committed to improving on the ACA and using its framework as a vehicle to ensure coverage for all Americans. As we enter this new era for the ACA, today's episode explores what's possible when the law is fully embraced, and we have the perfect guest to provide that perspective, Peter Lee, the Executive Director for Covered California. Thanks for joining us today, Peter. Great to be with you, Chip. Peter, uh, could we start off by helping our audience uh, understand you and your background uh, and how you got to Covered California? Great. Well, first, Chip, it's great to be with you, and and thanks for you and uh, the Federation's work to get the Affordable Care Act passed and uh, in place. So I've now been, believe it or not, at Covered California for 10 years, which uh, almost 10 years, which feels incredible. But my path to here was somewhat of a wandering path of having been a consumer advocate. Many, many years ago, I cut my teeth uh, as an activist on AIDS and HIV issues in the depths of the early days of the pandemic, which was one of the last huge pandemics before COVID we've had. After that, though, I continued as a consumer advocate, then helped represent large employers running a group called the Pacific Business Group on Health, which I think is actually when we first met, when I was doing advocacy around quality, quality performance, quality measurement from a purchaser perspective. Uh, From there, though, I had the opportunity to work in the Obama administration to help implement the ACA, looking at delivery system reform, doing such things as drafting the national quality strategy and help stand up CMMI, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. I guess the thread that runs through all that is trying to actually be patient and consumer-centric and recognizing that payment policy and tools make a difference to making that happen. And Covered California has been a pretty great place to be to continue that work. Great. Peter, before we get into Covered California, uh, let's give our audience a sense for the framework that was envisioned in 2010. As you said, uh, you were there at the very beginning. And what did you all want to accomplish at that point uh, to bring health coverage to everyone? First thing to note is the Affordable Care Act was a phenomenally important piece of legislation, biggest expansion of coverage since Medicare and Medicaid uh, about 50 years ago. But it wasn't a truly universal solution. It was a number of very, very big incremental steps to sort of have a better patchwork. So number one, it said, let's expand Medicaid for low-income people across America. In doing that, uh, it uh, thought at first that every single state would implement Medicaid. Subsequent Supreme Court case found actually states could opt out. 
We were surprised when that was the determination. So we now have about 15 states that didn't expand Medicaid to the detriment of millions of people, in particular in states like Texas and Florida. The other thing the Affordable Care Act did was provide financial subsidies for people that didn't have employer coverage or or Medicaid. Those are in marketplaces like Covered California. And that's financial help based on income. You're given money, you pick the plan that's right for you, you get more money to help you out if you make less money. And it actually had a cliff, 400% of poverty. So if you make more than $75,000, zero financial help. So another gap. The other thing it did that was huge in this area was totally reform insurance markets, which is before the Affordable Care Act, in many ways, insurance companies won by either avoiding sick people, because why would you want a sick person? You got to spend money on them or avoiding paying for care. That was the business model of many large insurers. The Affordable Care Act threw that out and said, going forward, if you're an insurer, Number one, you got to take everybody. So we hear a lot about no pre-existing condition bans. Number two, we're going to do something called risk adjustment. If you end up enrolling more sick people, the health plan that enrolls fewer sick people is going to give your plan more money. So it actually kneecapped the economics of risk avoidance and saying, we want an insurance system to be about people getting the right care when they need it and insurance companies to be motivated to provide the right services rather than avoid providing care that's needed. So uh, there's a number of other changes to the insurance marketplace, but those are the the core things. And when I say it wasn't totally universal, again, uh, the intent of Medicaid expansion being universal didn't happen. 15 states didn't expand. And it never embraced coverage for undocumented individuals. And it had a gap for the coverage for people with who made more than, say, $75,000. But it was huge in terms of having mammoth impacts, depending on how it was implemented, in reducing the rate of the uninsured. Let's get to implementation then, because one thing about California, which is often a leader in the country, is that when you went there 10 years ago to lead Covered California, you had a big vision. And can you talk to us a bit about that vision and how you got it started? We'll get in a moment to the goals. First thing is, let me go back to the ancient days of the ACA. When we implemented it, we thought every state would have their own marketplace. We thought every state would want to expand Medicaid and every state would say, boy, I want to control my destiny. I'm going to have a state-based marketplace. 15 state-based marketplaces. It turns out the politics were such that many states stood on the sidelines. So the federal government administers marketplaces for even today, about 35 states. About 15 states have state-based marketplaces, Cover California being one of them. California was the first state to pass legislation to establish a marketplace. And it was set up as independent of the state of California, but part of the state. So it didn't re- we don't report to the governor. I have a five-member independent board. And the charge was to not only provide as much coverage as possible, but to try to address the underlying healthcare system. The ambition we had was to make higher quality healthcare available for all, and also to affect the entire healthcare system in California. It was a pretty big vision uh, of not only making a marketplace work, but recognizing a marketplace is part of the broader healthcare system. So what goals did you set for yourself in terms of coverage and, and how successful were you or have you been in, in terms of being particularly consistent over the last 10 years? A couple of things around coverage. You know, One goal, and I'll come back to each of these, was to actually 
have as many people covered as possible through Covered California and through the Medicaid expansion. But the other goal, or, or an other goal, was to have coverage that mattered as much as possible for consumers. And the third was to have true competition, but competition on consumers' turn terms, not health plans' terms. So let me talk about each of those if I could, is first, coverage. California has had the largest drop of the rate of uninsured in any state in the nation. We had 18% uninsured before the ACA. We're now at about 7%. Phenomenally large drop. Much of that Medicaid expansion, but much of that covered California. We now have about 2 million people enrolled in covered California. But how do we do that? We believe that the coverage itself matters. So an example of that and creating a competitive marketplace for consumers is we have what uh, are standardized benefit designs in California. Uh, So when you're picking a plan, whether it's Kaiser or Anthem or HealthNet, and you're picking a silver tier, which many of your listeners know about, it's an identical silver tier, identical. And in California, at that silver tier, which is what most people buy, no outpatient care is subject to deductible. You go see a doctor, it's covered, first dollar coverage. And that's not the same in most of the nation. Most of the nation, uh, there's essential health benefits, standardized. But within those essential benefits, health plans can have variable benefit designs. That means consumers don't know what they're buying. California, they're shopping apples to apples comparisons. And it's the price and the networks that they know make a difference, not the obscurity of what's coinsurance and co-pays. But the third thing we did is we wanted to get health plans to compete to win. And we had 11 health plans in our first year out. But before they put anything on the table, we let them know, here's the risk mix we think you're going to get. So price right. And here's how competitive it's going to be. So you probably don't want every single doctor or hospital in your network because if you are higher expense, consumers won't pick you. What happened? We had huge enrollment that we supported with a lot of marketing dollars that originally was federal funding. We all got establishment grants. But Covered California has invested every year since then, literally tens of millions of dollars every single year in marketing. And we are funded today out of user fees. It's basically a a tithe on health plans premiums, which just adds about 3% to the premiums. But our 3%, which to give you a sense on our scale, we have a budget of about $400 million a year. We spend over $100 million on marketing every year. Why? Because doing that means healthier people sign up. It means premiums are lower because it's on the overall risk mix of who signs up. And it means health plans boy, they compete like the Dickens to be in Covered California, don't want to leave. So much of the nation saw health plans put their toe in the water of the individual market and realize they didn't know what they were doing, lose billions of dollars and leave. And now they're back in and now they leave. California's had the same 11 plans basically for seven years the, since we opened our doors. And we have consumers in essence in the driver's seat. So it's not only, and the last thing I'll note is we also want lower costs. Because we have a healthier risk mix, we have premiums that are about 20 to 25% lower than they would have been if you had the same risk mix that the federal marketplace has, because we invest in marketing. And that means not only do the people with subsidies benefit, but one of the rationales of the Affordable Care Act was, you know, I noted that subsidies 
don't help people that make more than 400% of poverty, 75,000 a year. The theory was that we'd get enough people insured in the individual market that premiums would stay low for unsubsidized people that make too much. That's happened in California. We have 800,000 people unsubsidized who buy in the individual market. In much of the nation, the individual market has disappeared. It's become a high-risk pool because individuals that don't get subsidies have been priced out of coverage because health plans have not invested in marketing and nor has the federal government. So it's been one of the things that we've sort of had that virtuous cycle of good policy leading to, to good ends. So from this experience that you've gained, Peter, in California, what further policies uh, do you think are important that would help us achieve this kind of comprehensive coverage for all under the ACA framework and maybe help us in some other places uh, as well as, as, as help you in furthering your efforts to expand coverage to maybe some of those people above 400% of poverty or others in California? Two things. First, I want to be also clear that one of the reasons California was successful is not just that we did a good job, which we did, but the state as a whole implemented policies that were aligned with the Affordable Care Act. So as a state, California outlawed short-term plans. Now, short-term plans aren't illegal under the Affordable Care Act, but they're discouraged because they're the old days of health insurance. You can turn away people who had pre-existing conditions. You can have lifetime limits. You can have crappy coverage and say, oh, it's okay. It's a short-term plan. Those don't exist in California as a matter of state law. So that's an example of a policy that was done so we have a better marketplace. Also, so we've used all the tools, but many states have not. So, and under the recent Trump administration, they implemented policies to actually promote non-ACA compliant plans, to promote sharing ministries, short-term plans in other states. California was able to hold those off. California also did two big things to while the Trump administration was, in essence, trying to kneecap the Affordable Care Act, said, well, we're going to try to go further. So effective 2020, California did two things. Number one, brought in state subsidies to complement the federal subsidies. Now, they weren't huge, but they actually provided some financial help to people that are middle-class Californians who were not eligible for federal subsidies because they make too much money. We have over 50,000 Californians that make over 400% of poverty, but less than 600%, getting on average about $600 a month in state subsidies. They couldn't, you know, they, they were, you know, spending huge portions of their income. The other thing California did was implement a state penalty. And I should have mentioned that at the outset. One of the things the ACA did at its, at its outset was say, if you can afford health insurance, but choose not to get it, you're going to pay a penalty. Why? Because you're deciding to go without insurance means if you end up in a hospital, you're going to be uncompensated care debt that we're all going to pay. So a penalty makes economic sense. It was never politically popular. That said, Governor Newsom bit the bullet, implemented the right policy in California. We saw in 2020, a year ago, which feels like 800 years in COVID time, a mammoth resurgence of new enrollment. Because consumers in California said, huh, on the margins. I don't have insurance. I pay a penalty. I get insurance. No penalty. I get a subsidy. I'll get insurance. So that was California implementing state policies to build on and in some cases go beyond the ACA. But I, I've also got to be clear that what we still need 
in California nationally is the subsidies aren't enough. As good as they are for lower income Americans who are trying to put food on the table, pay rent, uh, et cetera, the financial help can and should be more. They are paying a larger percentage of their income than people with good employer-based coverage. There is a cliff out there nationally, and the Biden administration has proposed getting rid of the cliff and making the subsidies richer. Now, to my mind, it makes the world of sense. You know, the idea that you make less money, you get more financial help with your health insurance makes the world of sense. Now, I would note that that is the right policy to go as a nation. I think one of our national next big issues is how to make sure people with employer coverage have coverage that works for them. Maybe we'll come come back to that one in a minute because that's sort of a, a next step issue before all of us, I think. But a earlier step is going to be more people need more financial help. Healthcare is just too expensive. We need to address that. So I think in the new legislation uh, that's being considered now to help with COVID, some of these subsidy issues are taken up. And also the administration is proposing subsidizing for the newly unemployed, their COBRA, for a time. But before we get to legis- legislation, though, or other action on the employer side, uh, you mentioned a number of the obstacles, policies that came out of the Trump administration, which in a sense degraded the ACA from those who were taken executively. And the new administration you know, has the option and actually has already taken some, some actions. What do you think are the key executive actions uh, that need to be taken now so that the ACA, within the bounds of, of what's controlled by an administration and HHS, can be everything that it could be? Remember that President Trump ran in part on a repeal and replace platform. The Affordable Care Act was not repealed, was not replaced. Why? In substantial part because many Republican states expanded Medicaid, saw it was working. Many Republican states saw elements that made a lot of sense. What the Trump administration did do was take a raft of administrative actions that made the Affordable Care Act less effective in areas where they had, so to speak, dominion. That wasn't in California. You know, the actions of stopping doing marketing is a great example. Look, we spend, you know, $100 million a year in marketing. The federal government went from spending over $100 million of spending nothing to promote enrollment. And that, that's going to change overnight. I mean, I'll note that the one of the very first actions of the Biden administration was to declare a special enrollment period. Their doors are wide open in all of their states uh, that they serve in the federal marketplace states starting February 15th, going through May 15th. They've committed to spending $50 million uh, for that special enrollment period. That's a new day. Uh, so that's a really concrete example. But you know, I've got a roster around my desk of 30 different sets of regulations that are different levels of horrendous to merely bad that I am certain the Biden administration is going to roll back. And the next year, we're going to see drumbeat of actions to roll those back, to stop promoting short-term plans, to have policies that promote consistency and true consumer protection. Those are going to be coming down the track. But what Trump could not get rid of is the funding for Medicaid expansion, could not get rid of the underlying premium tax credits, which make healthcare more affordable. 
the money is the secret sauce of coverage expansion. And that was never taken away. We need some more of that sauce. And I think that's going to be the next big legislative check or the legislative act, which as you note, Chip, is part of the stimulus package to be a temporary increase in subsidies for a one or two year period, which many think, and I do, that those should be permanent though. But definitely it's the right thing to do during a COVID pandemic. Well, hopefully that's the first step. Let's talk a little bit about the employer side. You bring that up. What do you think needs to be done on the employer coverage side to shore up that really important way that actually most Americans get their coverage? So I think the thing that we often forget, and it's funny, I was part of the policy discussions, I think you were, when the ACA was being crafted. And everyone probably remembers the whole thing about the Cadillac tax. The big worry was employers were giving benefits which were too rich. And so we need to stop that because that's encouraging consumers to use too much health care. You know, I think in retrospect, we got it backwards. The problem, we don't need a Cadillac tax. We need a Pinto tax, a tax on employers offering crappy coverage. Because when we look at, you know, and Chip, you're absolutely right, the majority of Americans get coverage through their job. In California, it's about 50%. People under 65 get employer-based coverage. About one-third get Medicaid at this point. A bunch get covered California. Many people with employer coverage, in particular those represented by unions, have really good coverage. The scope of benefits is really good. But for about a third people with employer coverage, it is crappy coverage. It is very high deductible. It is not adjusted for people's income, which means unlike in the Affordable Care Act, you make less money, you get more financial help with the premium. Most employers do not do that. They say, fine, whether you make $15,000 or $1.5 million, you pay a percentage of the premium. Nothing to do with your income. And that's economically bonkers. So one of the things I think we need to do as a nation is to you know, potentially have something like a Pinto tax. Employers get a subsidy from the federal government to offer employer-based coverage. It is a tax-free form of compensation. Why are we giving that to employers that aren't income adjusting their benefits for their employees and making sure that the coverage is robust enough to make a difference. I think we probably shouldn't be. Uh, So I think the next generation of issues that either the Biden administration or the next we'll be looking at is employer coverage and making sure it's meaningful and adjusted for income. The COVID pandemic has rightly put a fresh spotlight on issues of equity and disparities the same people that are the frontline workers that have been hit hardest economically by the COVID recession are those who are lower income people with worse employer-based coverage because it's not adjusted for their income. And I think as we start looking at things through an equity lens, we're going to rightly see a fresh look at uh, some of the flaws of the employer-based coverage, not for all people with employer-based coverage. Some people have great coverage, but a very significant portion have coverage that calls to question their ability to get care at the right time. Interesting concept. And obviously, the if we think about the three-legged stool or four-legged stool here, I should say, we have public coverage, Medicare, Medicaid. We have the private individual market. We have the employer coverage that provides coverage to all Americans. Unfortunately, I guess the fourth leg is for the uninsured. Uh, we do have protections when they go to the hospital, but we need to get them covered. 
That's right. And Chip, if I could, if I could, I think the, the, that great that note on the four-legged stool, so to speak, of the coverage four legs of Medicare and Medicaid publicly funded. Employer coverage, about one-third is federal tax dollars at play. The individual market is now mostly supported by federal tax credits, federal money in play. And the uninsured, it's not only hospitals that are providing care they must provide, but it's federally qualified health centers, which are paid for with federal dollars to provide coverage, not just in hospitals for, for outpatient care. So, you know, in the end, healthcare is a public good that we need to make sure is publicly held account to. And one part of that stool, uh, one leg of that stool is, is Medicaid. Absolutely. And as we talked about it, the predominance of, of states, at least on the coasts, expanded Medicaid, but there's some large states that didn't. And do you think there's anything we can do uh, from a policy standpoint to further encourage those states, or are they just part of the great political divide, and, and do we just have to you know, wait and see over time whether attitudes evolve? Well, I think two things. One, one of the things that I treasure about our nation is the balance of being states and a, a federal umbrella. I think it is, as a nation, unacceptable to say, oh, sorry, these 3 million lower income people happen to live in Texas, so they're out of luck. So what are the policy options? One is to sweeten the deal a little bit so states will opt in to expand Medicaid. Uh, and I think some states will. I think the issue of one of the proposals is uh, when the Affordable Care Act was launched, the first, I think, three years of Medicaid expansion, states paid zero for the expansion lives. Proposal is to bring that back. So now states can say, oh, okay, I can start anew as if I'd signed up at the beginning. Great proposal. But if states don't sign up with a carrot, I think the right thing to do is to work around them and say, fine, forget Medicaid. We're going to have a marketplace option that is as meaningful as Medicaid so your low-income people are not left without insurance. And the exact structure of that it, to be determined, but I think that's the sign of workarounds I think you'll see with the Biden administration to address national coverage issues and not say we're going to leave to 15 states that don't care those residents to be uninsured. As we sort of head to the end here, uh, Peter, obviously we've focused so appropriately on what I think is the first key to good health care, which is having health care coverage. But there are payment issues and other issues that are also involved in making health care work for Americans. Uh, what is, from your standpoint, the next frontier in terms of health reform is beyond just getting the people covered? I love that question, Chip, because I think you and I spent our first time, we actually spent a lot of time together on the a National Quality Coalition. And it's one of the things that Covered California has done since day one. We have a expansive contract with our 11 health plans saying your job isn't just to give people an insurance card. It's to make sure people get the right care at the right time, depending on who they are, regardless of where they live. And so we actually have performance incentives. We have it's what goes into our selecting which plans can come into our marketplace. And unlike other states, we have said no to a number of health plans. Said, hey, we want to play in California. We said, sorry, we don't want you. We curate the market looking at a lens of quality, equity, and value. And I think that really is the next frontier. When we look at how we have done as a nation, you know this well, you look at the six domains of quality 
the IOM laid out many years ago of, is it safe, timely, effective, equitable, efficient, and patient-centered? As a nation, we still aren't doing that good of a job. That's the next place we need to go to because getting coverage alone isn't enough. And in California, we measure our plans. And the good news is about you know 40% of our enrollees are very likely to get very good care. The bad news is most of them are in one healthcare delivery system, which is Kaiser Permanente, which has an integrated system that delivers very effective care for people with chronic illness. People not in that integrated delivery system, it's rolling the nice dice whether they're going to get the right care at the right time. And that's fundamentally unacceptable. So as a large purchaser, which we are, we're raising the bar for our health plans and saying, you need to make sure you're looking at equity. You need to make sure your diabetics are getting care on par with that of Kaiser. If not, we're going to ship people off to Kaiser. Now, obviously, Kaiser not taking over the world, but we have to be addressing the issues of subpar quality that is regardless of how you buy your healthcare, regardless of it's in that Medicare, Medicaid, commercial, or individual market. For most Americans, it's crapshoot healthcare in that your chances of getting the right care at the right time, you're flipping a coin. And that hasn't shifted in the last 20 years. Peter, this conversation's just been so helpful and really covered, particularly with your last remarks, the entire span of, of healthcare issues. Before we completely close out, can you let us know where can people go to learn more about Covered California? We actually publish a lot. We publish studies. We print results. And you can go to CoveredCA.com. Or the easier thing that we all do is Google us. Type in your search engine, Policy Reports Covered California. Our budget, Covered California budget. You want to see how we spent $440 million this year? We got an 80-page budget that lays it out in excruciating detail. But we do that because at Cover California, one of the things we sort of have as a mantra, we are evidence-based and evidence-generating. It's part of our job to, and look, for our health plans, every one of them gives a 100% of their claims data. We're analyzing that right now to see are people with bronze plans, high deductible plans actually getting the care they need or are they avoiding it because it's too hard to get past that deductible. That's part of our job. So I welcome people following what we do. We'll continue sharing it with you. And we have a lot to learn from others, but we think that one of our jobs is to be a proving ground. Peter, so great to have you with us. Great to be with you, Chip. Thanks for all you do, and thanks for the work of the Federation. Thanks for listening to Hospitals in Focus from the Federation of American Hospitals. Learn more at FAH.org. Follow the Federation on social media at FAH Hospitals and follow Chip at ChipCon. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Hospitals in Focus. Join us next time for more in-depth conversations with healthcare leaders.